Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to Midpoint. This week, I'm delighted to bring Kelly Cates into the Midpoint Club. Kelly is the Sky Sports Premier League football anchor who has an effortless broadcasting style and a depth of knowledge and history in the sport that can pretty much rival anybody. But she can disarm the likes of Roy Keane with a single eyebrow when she wants to shut him up. She's 45 years old and recently divorced with two young daughters. So I wanted to know all about that part of her life and how she's feeling about growing old on camera, as it's a question I get asked quite a lot. This episode is kindly sponsored by our great friends at Solgar, the vitamins and minerals experts with over 70 years experience, uh, because around here we love a little bit of experience. And now it's relevant to know that Kelly used to be Kelly Dalglish. She's the daughter of Kenny Dalglish, the Scotland and Liverpool footballing hero. As I mentioned her dad, but I don't mention his name. Enjoy. How are you? <laughs> Very well, thank you. How are you? Uh, I'm fine. I'm fine. How 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 is being in lockdown with two small children? Because um, yours are how old? They're nine and twelve, right. so they're not tiny. They're they're kind of relatively self sufficient. I mean, they they can't kind of run the house on their own just yet. But that's obviously <laughs> what I'm building towards. But my um, but my twelve year olds in in Zoom classes all day with the homeschooling. So it's only my nine year old that I'm kind of. I'm, I'm sort of taking her through the, the homeschool. So occasionally she has like a, a little video that she has to watch. And oh, my God. Like the thing, Miller, my youngest, she's really she's really easy to teach because she's really enthusiastic and really open minded. And you, know, you can have a conversation with her. But it's the lessons are so boring. And I just <laughs> sit there and I feel so sorry for her. I'm like, I'm really sorry, but you need to know what a fronted adverbial is. It won't, make, <laughs> it won't make your writing any better. It won't make you any more creative. It won't make you any more intelligent. You just need to learn this. It's rubbish and it's boring, but you have to do it. Like, well, okay. You're a clever cookie though, aren't you? You, start, you started a maths degree, didn't you, before yes. you started at Sky? Yeah. Did you, where did yeah. you get to on that? Uh, about a year before the end, roughly. But then I hadn't quite finished some of the modules by the end of that. Of that why year. did you? Why did you decide to head to telly? And because I, because um, Sky was starting up Sky Sports News, and it was an opportunity. And I thought, well, I can either do that or I can cling on and finish this maths degree that I'm not very interested in to do a job that I won't be very interested in. <laughs> and you know, you kind of with with that sort of um, confidence of youth, which I think is is less a sort of self-belief and more just kind of lack of self-awareness <laughs> you I went, I went oh it'll be fine I can always go back to it if it all goes wrong when which in theory I could have done but I was never going to do that it was just a reason not to do it to be honest to take on a maths degree though you've got to have a pretty sharp brain I mean you you know well I didn't start I, I well I did maths and further maths a level but I, but I also did chemistry and physics so I actually wow. might have to do a chemistry degree you could be then, you could be inventing vaccines right now, Kelly, if things had gone differently. Could, but that's that's really hard work. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the and and you're right. I heard um, was it the Richard Osman one? You were you were talking to him about. You were saying I sometimes wonder if I could have I could have done gone something and more meaningful, made something of my life <laughs> and changed the world. And the, but not everybody can change the world. I listened to that and I thought, God, yeah, I, I kind of. Well, you should, where, where am I finding the meaning in my life? But I think that's a, that's very much a sort of midlife thing, isn't it? Where you, you look at kind of, it's not that you have regrets, but you look at all those paths you could have chosen and you, you take a little wander down all of them and think, what well, what would have happened if, what, if, what if I did that? And it's not that you regret necessarily the path that you, you have. Mm. It's that you, you, I don't know, just, a slide, it's quite it's, nice it's to a be aware of those sliding thing, doors. Isn't yeah, it? yeah, exactly. Because, ha- you know, I would never have met my husband or I wouldn't have met those people I wouldn't have been in that situation you know so all those things so who would I be hanging out with you know what I mean where would I yeah. where would I be living I know it is a but especially when you know you had such potentially such an academic career 
And then to go to Sky at that time, very exciting. And, you know, obviously, as you say, Sky Sports News was starting and everything. And you had that enthusiasm and that kind of passion for your sport as well. Um, It must have been so different to the the life you were kind of living at that time. But I I hated um, student life. I'm one of those people. (laughs) You know, you have people who have... Um, they, they kind of live in their student life forever, yeah. and constantly at reunions, and they always talk about it, and they always drop it into conversations. And you think, could you never move on? And I think, I think part of that is because I liked the people I was with, but I hated kind of going into uni. And it didn't help. You know, I was at Glasgow Uni, and there's this most beautiful sort of gothic building, and it, it's just stunning and you I would go in for you know to to register and it was these kind of arches and cloisters it was just beautiful and I was in this kind of 1960s prefect that was the (laughs) science building and I think there were there were loads of little things like that that I just thought I just this isn't what I I thought it would be it was just more of the same and I think I think if I'd taken a year out before university I may have approached it differently but Mm. I think I just had enough of studying Mm. and I was just I was Desperate to work, absolutely desperate to go to work, to leave university. We we have very um, similar, you know. Obviously, your dad was a was a much more celebrated, much more successful footballer. But we have very similar backgrounds. And both of our fathers were footballers. Um, both of them were, you know, my dad captained Wales. Your dad was an absolute hero of Scottish football, and obviously everything he's done with Liverpool as well, and, and Celtic, and every, you know his huge DNA there in terms of his success through those clubs and. Um, growing up as the eldest child as well um, yeah. of, of four in a in a footballing environment, transferring from club to club, moving around, you know, um, so many parallels. And yeah. actually, one that just dawned on me yesterday was that while you and your family went through the horrors of, of Hillsborough with your dad in charge then, my dad was in charge at Bradford City or assistant coach when the Bradford fire happened. I thought, what an extraordinary coincidence yeah. that both of our, you know, families also went through those big football tragedies. Yeah, and I think it's um, it it does it does feel like a, a family tragedy. Mm. I think when when you're involved, and that's you know, but but at the same time, you're very conscious that the, your own family, my family, or your family, haven't been directly touched directly, touched, yeah. and so and you're very very aware of the suffering of people who have been directly affected, and that's not just families of, of people who've died, but also you know, people who were there on the day and who live with, with that trauma. And I think there's a there's a, a sort of strange... Um, I don't know, there's a, that you, you feel involved, but you also know that, that it, you're, it, it hasn't touched you in the, in the same way and yet it still has, has an effect. And like my dad, your dad obviously was going through the grief of, of seeing what was happening to all those people. You know, my dad went to so many funerals and went to see so many families. And um, and that has an impact on a family, doesn't it? And I don't like, you know, my mum was kind of trying to cajole us and get everybody kind of, you know, keep going to school and keep doing normal things. Yeah. I think it sometimes comes back to you later in life, the impact that that had at the time on the family. Yeah, and I, I, don't, I don't think it felt that there was a huge impact at the time. I think I was 13. Mm. 12 or 13 and it was you know I, I just didn't not not that it didn't affect me but I'd, I'd had no idea about the effect and I think also it, in in a different time as well because it was 89 was the, the Hillsborough disaster and I think if god forbid something like that were to happen I think it would be very different under these circumstances everybody would talk about it and you know everybody mm. would sort of share their stories mm. and how are you feeling mm. and we but then that that wasn't really the approach everybody just kind of got on with it mm. and that's that's how Mum and Dad got on with it, and that's how how we got. And on did with it hit it. you later in life, or did you? Um... Yeah, I um, I made a documentary, a radio documentary on it with a uh, with a friend of mine, and we made a television documentary, and then and then I sort of turned that into a, a radio doc. And I sat and listened. At the at the time, I was really heavily pregnant, so I didn't end up going to do the interviews because it felt insensitive to turn up sort of heavily pregnant mm. towards people about loss. It didn't it didn't feel right, and. Um, and I sat through and listened to all the interviews that had been done. And I think at that stage, being an adult and about to be a mother, I think it really, really hit home. One of the questions that um, I get asked, which I don't know how to answer, which you probably get asked as well, what was it like growing up yeah. with a, a father who was yeah. in the public? Compared account? to what? Yeah. I mean, that's, the, that's, what, that's, what I, that's what I always follow up with, because, because com- compared to what, what? What do you want me to tell you? I, I don't know what, you know. 
how was anybody's life growing up? It's kind of, I don't, I think it's, I think people overestimate the impact of your parents' job on your, yeah. on your life. Yeah. You know, I think, I think as a kid, you don't really care that much. It's kind of, you take everything for granted. What your parents do is what your parents do. It's all, and, and that's all you know. That, and that's all you know. Yeah. And you can, I think who they are as people is much more, much more of a, has more, much more of a lasting impact than, than what they did as a, as a job. I mean, it's slightly different in that, I suppose, like for us, that you're, it, with, with dad working in football, you, it's part of your life as well. Mm. Not many people are going into the office and, you know, not many people are sitting there on a Sunday before school and watching the game and it's part of your world, your world outside of school and your world outside of home as well. Because you were, you were talking about the questions that you, you always get asked. And the other one is about this feeling of being a woman in a, in a man's world. And I don't, know, I don't know if you've had that as well, but I, fe- I think because I always felt part of that world, it never occurred to me to question my place in it. I think maybe sort of starting from the inside gave me a, a sense of belonging that I think that maybe somebody coming from the outside yeah. didn't feel and, may, and maybe were more a, more easily shaken in, in that position. Yeah. And you came back to Sky about four or five years ago, didn't you? After having been yeah. away for a while. And it was this interesting, there was this interesting kind of narrative that it was suddenly like you were rediscovered again, you know, and like those of us who know how brilliant you've been for years were kind of like, yeah, she's been great for ages, actually. <laughs> and she's amazing on radio as well. And, you know, and it was almost like you had a, a second coming and um, which I thought was great, especially you were probably about 40, weren't you, when you came back to Sky? Yeah, I think so, yeah. So, so, so yeah. to be at that point kind of, almost relaunched by by the <laughs> yeah. football world. Yeah, I suppose that's how it was, but it's like you say when you're when you're kind of just steadily working and I was working less around the girls being little and so you know it kind of got to so when when I went back so Miller would have been what four and starting primary school when I went back to Sky and it just kind of all fitted in time-wise that she was you know she was out the house more and and there was more structure to her life. So it, so I was I was working less, but I had been working mm. and I had been kind of ticking over. So it didn't feel. But when you went back that, like that second time, did you feel I don't know more grounded? You're, you're now forty. You've had your kids, yeah. you know. And how did it feel going back into that environment um, as a as a more mature woman? <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. It was different because I was. But then also, I think you start any new job. I think well for me anyway, you start anything new. I always feel like the kid on their first day at school when when you go in. I, I you know I didn't. Mm. Where's the tuck shop? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and it was all in new in a new building as well. And you kind of you go around. And go, what if if I if I need to go and get where do I need to go and how yeah, do I get yeah. and does my pass work and do that and it's you know it, it always I always feel like that on it on a first day. I never feel like an experienced person in a job until I've done the job for a little mm, while as well. Mm. Um, That's completely, and, I mean, you know, it would, yeah. you'd have to have like, some kind of real um, sense of, uh, I don't know, entitlement almost if you just yeah. walked in <laughs> anywhere there and felt you owned yeah. it, wouldn't you? Aren't you lucky to have yeah. me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll be here. And, and no, I don't really like where the canteen is. Could that get me? <laughs> but mind you, we both, we both heard of those stories in TV. We know those people. So they're we out do there. those people. I cannot, do you know, the more, the more I think about it and, and the more you hear those stories, the more I think, how the hell do people get away with that? What at what stage does somebody make the decision not to call? The other day, I won't say names, I probably shouldn't tell the story, but the other day I was in work and a male presenter had given all his shirts to the makeup artist to wash and iron. <laughs> Oh, I've, I've seen that. I've seen that before. They were hanging, they I've were seen hanging up. Many it was times. Like, it was a bit like being in a laundrette. They yeah. were all hanging up yeah. in the makeup. Because we can't, in that build, we can't get um, PLP and, and Sky, um, the two places that I work, because I'm trying to, not to specify this, both of them, we, we don't have makeup. So, yeah. We, yeah. you know, the, the makeup room is there just with someone to supervise. Um, yeah, to, if they do. Well, we put if we like, well, we put our own on, and uh, and, uh, so and God, let's, let's and go, hope that finishes they, soon. They, oh my God! And and, they, and you know, you've, you've got this really sort of talented makeup artist standing there with their fingers itching to kind of going left, not, not right. like not like that, not like that. Um, I know I've seen that. And, I've seen the whole shirt thing, and I find that incredible geez. though, because I I don't know why. Anyway, I don't know why they accept it. I would be like, no, this is my, I'm actually a makeup artist. Yeah. <laughs> this is and not like, my job. And then, and then I was thinking, do I, like, do I interfere and say to somebody higher up the chain, do you know that this person is doing this? <laughs> and then I'm like, done. or is it, yeah, or is that then me 
is that then me taking someone else's problem into my own, own hands and thinking I know better <laughs> and, inter- and interfering? It's like unwanted advice, isn't it? And I was, I was thinking, what? I don't know. I didn't really know what to do in that situation. So I've sort of left it. But it, it wasn't that long ago. I could still revisit it. Maybe ask the, maybe ask the makeup artist if they... If they probably I turn did. around and go, actually, 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 Kelly, I'm getting £5 a shirt. Will you back off, please? Um. <laughs> I'm talking top, top about my... But I, no, that, that, that was not the case. Are, are, are you, when you came back to Sky then at 40 and had all this experience, got your kids, you're going into really high profile, yeah. main frontline Sky uh, football presenting, which you weren't before, were you? You weren't doing the... the no, no, matches. no. I was just on just on Sky Sports News, and then when I went back, I went back into EFL. I went into their right. live championship okay. coverage. So and I had, had an opportunity um, to, to to do the the live football. Did yeah. Did you feel then? Like your, your confidence in what you were doing and your kind of sense of, you know, the 10,000 hours, whatever you want to say, the Malcolm Gladwell yeah, yeah. kind of thing. Did you feel then yeah. like, um, um, yeah, I'm actually um, in the right place for me in my life right now? Yeah. And I think in a, in, a, in a good way, it doesn't matter so much. You know, you're not sitting there thinking, this is it. This is the pinnacle of everything I've ever wanted to do. Because I think when you're young, you feel like everything is the chance. Mm. It's the opportunity. And, oh, my God, if this goes wrong, then that's it. It's all going to fall apart. Whereas, you know, you go on when you're, when, when you're older and, you've, you know, like you say, as a sort of woman in her 40s with a family and other things going on in her life, and you think, or I did, I thought, well... It's my job. It, it's, it's my job mm. and it's telly. You know, mm. like you said, it, it, <laughs> sliding doors moments, I may have been doing something much more important, but really... I'm, I'm presenting the football on telly. I'm, I'm not doing anything. You know, you want to do your job well mm. because of personal pride and professional pride. But it matters pride, though to people, doesn't it? It really does matter. And it matters. To it matters to people, and you're and you're covering something that is important to people, and and there are lots of reasons to want to do your job well. But in the grand scheme of things, it's football on the telly. You know, this is not. I'm not going to change the world. So <laughs> doing it, this because a lot of people would think, oh, to do that, you've got to have so much ambition, and you've got to be. Uh, you know, kind of really on it all the time. But that's not your kind of shtick, I'm, I, I always sense with you. No, I'm not. I'm not. And it's not that I'm not ambitious. I just, I'm not a planner. Mm. And I never, I never really see the point in planning. The amount, you've been in the same situation because you, you, especially not working in telly because the amount of conversations you have about potential projects or this will happen and this will happen in a couple of years, nothing ever works out. I never think anything's nailed on until I'm abs- actually in Sat the studio in the working on it. Yeah. it. <laughs> because, because I've had too many conversations where things just don't pan out. And I think sometimes people get um, think that I'm not enthusiastic about stuff when I talk to them. And it's not that. I just think, well, that I, like, I will be enthusiastic about this. But <laughs> if I, it comes know, off. I'm, I'm not going to yeah. waste my enthusiasm because <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've got a finite well, amount to use up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, and I am enthusiastic and I think it's, you know, a great idea and I, I would really love to do it. But... At the same time, let's see. Let's you see have where it goes. Well, that sounds to me like you've just got things in, in perspective. And so, yeah, you know, which a lot of people don't in in that world, you know, yeah. kind of, it does get well, it does get a bit myopic and it does get a little bit kind of like being in a bubble almost and it's the most important thing that's going on. And so so does that mean that um because you're you're very relaxed and that comes across in your broadcasting style as well, that you could see yourself going well into your fifties doing what you do? Well, I hope so. I mean, I think there's um I don't know. I think they've started to be to be precedents of women sort of working as long as uh, and having careers as long as as men can. Yeah, I, I keep the radio going. I think it's not not bad to have <laughs> to have a, to have to have um, a, a part of my career that isn't dependent on you know staying pristine. Um, uh, talk but, about talk um, to me about staying pristine. Then what's what do you feel oh, like? I, do you feel a pressure in terms of yeah, your visual I, appearance? I, yeah, and it because it's not some you know I have the I think a sort of reasonable sort of interest in my appearance. I kind of think you know it's it's nice to kind of you know be smart, stay <laughs> to be smart and to be well groomed. And I, I think I read this somewhere years ago, and somebody said it's just a matter of good man- manners. Other people have to look at you, <laughs> and I thought, well, that yeah, that's you know, well. You're like, you're, I had an argument once with. I'm going to come back to that, but you'll like yeah. this story. It was wasn't an argument. It was just, it was supposed to be a meeting. It got a little bit heated with a guy who was brought into the BBC to talk to us about our visual appearance, and I immediately took a little bit of offence I have to say because I because I knew that I was probably spending more on my wardrobe than most of my colleagues anyway I'd been doing my show on five live so I'd come from radio right and I was wearing some quite high Giorgio Armani boots um some some tight trousers a little jacket and he said um 
the guy who was brought in, uh, he said, I think they're going to say you're too glamorous. And I said, sorry? Um, I said, I don't wear low-cut tops. I don't wear short skirts. I never have, you know, kind of. Yeah. And uh, I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, he said, you wouldn't wear those boots to empty the dishwasher, would you? Those were his exact words. And I said, <laughs> I was so livid because I said, I've just come off radio where nobody sees me and I'm wearing these boots. So what do you think? <laughs> and I said the same thing to him. I said, I'm going into people's houses. I said, and I want them to think that I've made an effort because I'm in yeah. their living room and I'm not going to do it in my slippers, which I might empty the dishwasher in if I can't cajole <laughs> one of my children to empty the dishwasher, by the way, because that if I'm emptying it, there's something wrong in this house. <laughs> but I, I was amazed that, that, that attitude, because that, like you, I think it is manners isn't it to want to yeah. to be smart for although I'll, I'll be honest since lockdown I, I feel that that's that's kind of like many things has kind of gone by the way partly it's kind of putting on that extra lockdown stone and the rest of it and then I go well I'm not buying clothes now I'm not buying clothes for this person you know this person doesn't deserve new clothes what, what do you this she, person she, being who does she think? the person that you are at the moment you mean yes are you, yeah, but are you on a, you but on also, a fitness uh kick uh, yeah yes and no I mean I I kind of am quite accepting of the fact that during lockdown you know I like food and I like wine and, you know, it's been miserable weather. So I've not been, you know, taking myself off in the pouring rain and freezing cold to kind of pound the streets. And I think, you know, that's all right. I'm quite, you know, I'm quite comfortable in myself with that. In terms of, you know, putting myself on screen, I'm not as comfortable with that because I think I I understand what is happening. And I've always, I've always sort of been like that. And, you know, I will go through sort of healthy eating and fitness regimes and things like that when I feel when I feel like it. So you don't you know, just don't it, feel motivated at the moment. No, and I and and I and I also feel I'm quite kind of um kind to myself probably too kind. <laughs> I'm quite kind of I'm quite kind of kind to myself about it. I do that that is my my thought process. I just think it's really miserable at the moment. You know, you, you take real pleasure in things like food and wine and movies and things like that. So why make life miserable by, you know, steaming fish and sitting in front of it, you know, and then going for a run in the cold. It would make you unhappy. But I suppose because I, I kind of, it makes me happy to go for a run in the cold. And that's, see, but so. that's the difference. And, yeah. I, and I would love to have that. And I do like it. I do genuinely, I, I, I enjoy exercise. I would love to have that runner's high. I just don't like it. And I, I love the idea of it. And I'm really drawn to that kind of, you know, when you see those adverts of like women running down the street with their ponytails swinging and, <laughs> oh, this is my headspace and they're listening to music. And you think, <laughs> I, I love that. I love that idea. But, run, but you know, that's the other thing as well. You have to accept who you are <laughs> in midlife and further. And I think I need to accept I am not that person. Mm. <laughs> Running doesn't do that I remember you saying to me, and we were on our way to, we were doing a women in football trip to Barcelona. So you must yeah, have only, yes, you must have yes. only been about 24. I was about 26. Yeah. And yeah. I think I, I was a bit late getting to the airport or something. And I, cause I've been for a run and you said to me <laughs> at some point, you have to choose between your ass and your face. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> and you were only 24 when you said that. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing. Well, that's the thing. Cause um, I've, I've had like, like about two or three years ago I've got a crease between my forehead yeah. between my eyebrows and I hate it and I had Botox on it but the the upside of like lockdown weight is the wrinkles don't seem to be as bad you've got no <laughs> wrinkles I mean I, I always have, think when I see your I face I think well mm. gosh I mean I don't think she has chosen between her ass and her face but her face is no, definitely no. not letting her down because it's no it's, my mum my aged really well and my, my granny actually smoked all her life and even then she aged quite well so I'm kind of hoping I've got <laughs> I'm kind of hoping I've got. You haven't started jeans, smoking really... in lockdown, have you? <laughs> no, God, no, no. I don't like smoking. Smoking makes me sick. Like genuinely, genuinely nauseous. See, I had to put my dad's parents, the Welsh ones, um, yes. were 40 a day as they used to set an alarm at five in the morning to have their first fag. I mean, they <laughs> literally smoked over vegetables. They would literally be cooking vegetables, smoking over them. So and my dad, as a result, was so anti-smoking. He couldn't yeah. stand it because he just grew up in a house that stank of tobacco. So yeah, yeah so my mum even has a sign on our house, which basically says that it's a no smoking zone, like a plaque yeah. outside. They're so, <laughs> you'd have thought we'd all end up as smokers rebelling against but them. Nobody, nobody really does smoke inside <laughs> anymore, do they? That's kind of like... I don't know anybody. In fact, I know very few people who smoke, and I know very and of them, 
I don't know anybody who would smoke inside. They certainly wouldn't smoke in someone's house without, no. unless they were, unless that person was a smoker. No, who also smoked I can't. In their house. I mean, they, when so we were kids, now. though, you'd always go into people's houses with people smoking inside. My, yeah, my grandpa's my grandpa's chair used to have the yellow patch above the <laughs> above him on the ceiling where he would just sit. He had his chair, and he wasn't even a particularly old man at the time. No, but it was just <laughs> probably not much older than we are now. <laughs> and he would just, but he had his chair. He had his mug. Where he that, was, this know, your, was this your? Was this your? Both my dad's. Right. My dad's mom. My 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 mum's mom did. My mum's dad. Sorry, did smoke, but he didn't have that kind of chair and <laughs> both things. Yeah. And the yellow yeah, patch my, my, my mum's, Yeah. My mum's dad. He would have Whitbread because he worked in. We used to work in restaurants, and then he ended up working in pubs, and so he and Whitbread were the brewery. So he would come back with like the big bottles of. Whitbread, that was his end of end of day. But their their generation, though, they I mean, in terms of health and lifestyle and, you know, obviously they had much more um active lifestyles, didn't they, in many ways, yeah. because their jobs were obviously a lot more um active and and they, you know, thinking about the kind of the, the menopause and the midlife, you know, and yeah. their generation, obviously, they didn't have the option of taking anything really, did they? No, or, no. you know, they just had to deal with it. Um, did, was your family one that the women would talk about things like that? No, so my grand, I would have been too, my my both my my grandmothers. I would have been too young mm. to kind of get involved in the in the chats with them. And then with my mum, because she had breast cancer, um, and before that she had um, she'd had hormonal treatment, so she right. she'd gone through it. So it was it was different. So mm. there was never really that sort of natural. Although my my there there is a, a story that my great granny's sister, my my auntie Lizzie. Um, went through the menopause at like 27. Oh and gosh. that was the, that was the only conversation we ever had about wow. the menopause. It was sort of hushed, are you know, you, hushed are, you, are you feeling any changes? My, yeah, definitely. Oh my God. I feel like I've constantly got my period. <laughs> People don't need to know this. I feel like it's, <laughs> it's just so frequently, it's just annoying. Um, and what about, and, what about your um, headspace, your kind of mental? Yeah, um, See, that's really hard to work out because I don't know how much of that is just everything that's going on mm. at, at the moment. Um, I don't know what's hormonal and I don't know what is, but I think it's not really, it's not really in my, my headspace. I think probably the weight gain is part of it. Mm. I think that's, you know, I think it's, I think it's really hard at the moment over the last year to work out disseminate what is what yeah, yeah yeah exactly but I definitely I definitely think it's it's not helping. You are about to enter into a life of well you're single now aren't you? Yes. Um yeah. and you're you know kind of going to be properly single very very soon. Yes. Um how does that feel? Properly single. <laughs> I like the idea of that. Well, be, be you'd like, be free to marry that? again. Uh, yeah, but what's, that, what's that film that's out with Kristen Vegan, Barb and Star go to go to wherever, Cabo or wherever it is. I'm going to get myself a nice, like, old lady perm and go <laughs> and take myself off to some kind of middle-aged swingers paradise. But, but you're going to enter into the world, or if, if you're not already, yeah. you're going into dating kind of land, know. you know, which is know. Uh, in the mid-40s, which you um, yeah. You know, you were back there, kind of in your late twenties, probably the yeah, last time. Yeah. Um, how? Tell me, what's the landscape yeah. landscape like? What's it like? I don't there? know. Well, the thing is, there's been a year of pandemic, so it's <laughs> it wasn't easy to date. <laughs> so I was, my, my options were limited. But also, I I sort of think if I don't want, you know, to spend my precious free time with a random so I feel like, what you're only going to date people like, you know then well, this is, but this is the thing I kind of the, the thought of going on a date and spending an evening with somebody and at the end of it thinking well I don't really like you I just I would be so resentful of that of them taking up my time I mean they're obviously vice versa but I'm not really bothered about it from their perspective from their point of view. but the, but the thought of just spending time with somebody who isn't who I don't like you know, bearing in mind, I don't get a chance to see the people I do like very often. Yeah. So, but I do know that, you know, unless I want to kind of spend the rest of my life alone and I'm not, I, you know, I've got no real kind of thoughts about long-term relationships or anything like that. Or Yeah, we're not going to scare anybody know, off here. No, <laughs> no, no, no. She's not mean, only going out with you if you marry her. <laughs> I don't mean that. I just mean as in, as in, you know, not even if it was somebody I was attracted to, but imagine going out with somebody and you sit there and halfway through you think... 
God, this guy's an idiot. I mean, what? You've just wasted a babysitter and, and like, <laughs> I think you're going to have to get a few frogs, though, Kelly. I don't think it's going to be... I don't think <laughs> no, the dream really guy is going to appear on date one. <laughs> and that, I, but, I know. No, so maybe I've been told you're not your... very, I've been told you're not a good matchmaker, though. I've been warned off. <laughs> well, we have a mutual friend who wasn't impressed yes. with my first attempt. And, and I have a few other... Uh, disasters that I could share with <laughs> friends that I thought would make quite good, you know, hookups. It didn't quite work out. So yeah, don't, perhaps don't come to me for, um, but people do that with me though. They go, oh, you must meet loads of guys. As, you know, yeah. can through you, work. Yeah, and they, I, they're all married. Yeah. And it's like, you, you go, well, I'm not going to introduce you to some married guy. Yeah, I don't think that, I think that's a married, good life choice for you. <laughs> yes, quite. Um, I know. So, so yeah, but that's me now. If I'm not married, it must be a reason. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, there's a, lot, there's a lot of people coming up to second time rounds now you know yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> and there's going to be yeah. though Kelly I think it's going to be quite amazing like in June people are going to be <laughs> yeah, just like gonna yeah, be out. you're going to be like out there it's going to be great <laughs> don't book any holidays this year just be out there just because you don't want to miss a trick <laughs> oh my god I'm going to be like one of those you know there were always I, I remember like being at school and there were always the mums who would turn up maybe in like the equivalent of a tennis kit or something like that you kind of you know so that was the sort of 80s equivalent of, of you know maybe be the yoga yoga yeah, moms at school because I think there is a there is a degree of kind of being your best self when you're when you're dating certainly when I think back to you know dating as a, as a 20 year old and you're not sure of yourself as a 20 year old mm. you're still kind of trying on all your different versions of yourself and um but you know what I, you want and, now really but now yeah <laughs> and 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 I know who I am really. I, you say, I know and, who and I want I thought excellent let's put out <laughs> let's put out a public service bat, broadcast like a bat signal <laughs> picture of his face um, but I just think but I think you know I, I kind of and it's not that you know you know yourself but you know that you're not a, a simple human being mm. you're not one thing you're lots of different people in lots mm. of different situations and somebody needs to be able to be comfortable with are you saying that you dress up <laughs> Have you got a dressing up box? Is this what we're saying? I'm just, I, I literally am making myself sound completely unpickable. Just, yeah. she's, Have you she's, seen the undateables? She also has multiple, <laughs> this strange woman who's put on two stone in lockdown with multiple personalities. And a dressing who up has box. Very low, yeah, and is not very understanding of people and doesn't really like people. So Please, can, please call this, this number. Be, yeah. Come, come, come and see me at the end of the podcast. And uh, we'll try and sort this branding out. I think we yeah, need to. I, just, I think we need to work it out. I, I, I will not be writing my own bio on dating websites. <laughs> Let oh, us God. bring in. You mentioned that you are uh, partial to a glass of wine. Yes. Um, so you you may like or not the choice of expert for this podcast, um, because Janie Lee Grace, uh, a broadcaster that I'm sure you've heard over the years, many many times, uh, of Radio Two, and an author of many books, has written. Happy, healthy, sober. Uh, there she is. Hi, Janie. Hi, how are you? Do you know what, Janie? I was thinking the last time, um, I mean, I've, I've seen you at Radio 2, but you were on a show I did in 2008, Five Live, because you'd written a book, and I can't remember the title of it, but one of the things I took away from it was to use your old lemons to clean the sink. <laughs> Absolutely, and I still do right now. I hope you do too. Yeah, that was my what um, was Imperfectly what, what Natural was series of books. That's yeah. right. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Kelly likes a, a glass of wine. Janie, people suddenly realise that it's been kind of creeping up, the, you know, the amounts. What was your epiphany, Janie? Mm. Well, I, you know, I've certainly had more than my fair share of, of booze over the years. And, you know, the interesting <laughs> thing for me when I look back is that, you know, as you pointed out, I have been sort of queen of holistic health for years. You know, I've been literally banging on about about great nutrition and living without chemicals and you know t constantly and yet I was walking around this massive elephant in the room which was booze so throughout all of this when I was really so passionate about being healthy actually I was kind of poisoning myself every day so now I look back I think what's that about and of course I realize that what it's about is that alcohol is legal and it's justified and it's the social glue that sticks everything together and it's fine while it's fine until it isn't anymore and I went through a phase where I it ramped my drinking ramped up I never had a rock bottom moment I think it's really important to stress that and mm. and the book isn't for people who are clinically dependent at rock bottom the book is for what we now know the term is gray area drinkers right people who just sometimes drink more than they want to 
and they're caught in this trap. And that's what happened to me. I found that I was drinking every day, the drinking ramped up as a sort of busy mum and working hard. I wanted to feel like I had a treat, you know, and so this became my self-care, ironically. And it was all fine until I woke up at 3 a.m. pretty much every single day. And a voice in my head would say, this is not okay. This is so mm. not okay with who you're meant to be. That you know, this is not good. Stop, just stop this. And then I found I, I couldn't stop that easily because it is addictive. So I, you know, the book is really to try and encourage people that there is another way. And the one thing nobody ever said to me was just how unbelievably amazing life without booze is. Nobody ever said that. People would say, "Oh, well, just have one," or just try a day with just some water and then you can go back and it'll all be good. As if alcohol was this fabulous holy grail that poor me, I couldn't hold my beer. But actually the opposite is true. Kelly, what, uh, what's your relationship with alcohol like? Yeah, I'm, well, at the moment, I'm not really drinking very much because I kind of go through, I sort of go through phases. I kind of, you know, the last, what, four or five weeks, I think, but just kind of, and I quite, and I, I'm listening to what Janie's saying about that sort of treat at the end of the day. And I got, I don't, I'm not a beer drinker, but I got myself alcohol-free beer. Yeah, that's brilliant. <laughs> I thought, because I sat down at the end of the day and I thought, there we go, the children are in bed, you know, 12 year old not asleep, but they're in bed and they, and just the, the, it's the, it's the clink of the, of the and the hiss of the bottle opening. And I thought, oh, that's mm. the end of the day. There was a little ritual mm. in there. It's just, it's finding another... So the, the non-alcoholic beer is a, it's, it's a habit, isn't it? Whatever you do, it's a habit. So if that becomes your habit or a cup of tea becomes, whatever it is, yeah. it's creating that, that moment of... Uh, yeah, tea didn't work for me because <laughs> I, I had about four slices of toast in it. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that is the, I've got addicts in my family. So I've got people who have serious problems with alcohol. So I'm always, it's always on my mind that I don't want to be an alcoholic. I'm, my, I'm mindful about it because of yeah. the people I mean, around me. I mean, just to pick up on, on what Kelly was saying first, you've actually stolen my my actual mantra, which is keep the ritual, change the ingredients. So there you go. You've got, you, you've got it. It's, You're it's ahead of the game, Kelly. About. You don't need the book Yeah, now. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's what I talk about all the time. And the reason is because it is that feeling of deprivation mm. that, that holds us back. That's what sends us back to drinking again, because we, a cup of tea just won't cut it all the time and you know warm orange juice or water if you go into a function it won't always cut it mm. you know so we do we do want to feel like we've got that treat so you're absolutely right always have a lovely glass and you know pimp your drink with a berry or a bit of I don't know lemon or whatever and and, and have something alcohol free and the choice now is unbelievable if we'd been trying to do this 10 years ago we, it, it's much harder but there are now some amazing easier. um alcohol-free gins aren't there yeah amazing botanicals gorgeous, and, yeah. and a fabulous and fabulous fears and, mm. and just just so many um but on to what you were saying gabby um it, it it's really interesting so you say that you're kind of you're conscious mm. of of you know you're more perhaps more conscious of it than other people well obviously that's that's great because you're conscious of whether or not your off switch is working, mm. right? You see, I, my, I got to the point where my off switch didn't work. My off switch works with coffee. I can have a coffee. I don't need to then go on and have four, right? <laughs> but with alcohol, it didn't work. Mm. So you're conscious of your off switch. But the interesting piece to me now, in, you know, in hindsight, is this sort of desire that you still have or, mm. or, or I would challenge you and say, think you have. Mm. Because actually the reality, I think, is that, most of us actually don't. When you think you want a glass of alcohol, it's not the alcohol you want at all. If you ask yourself, what feeling am I trying to create? Actually, there's always a better way of doing it than through, through drink. So, for example, if you're, you're kind of thinking to yourself, oh, you know, I, I, I want a treat or I want to feel grown up and glamorous. You know, if I've had a day with the kids or whatever, I, I want a really lovely glass of, of, of white wine. If I actually said, oh, yeah, no problem, and handed it, handed you some really naff, crappy old um, warm old white wine in a cracked paper cup hasn't got the same appeal has it no <laughs> it wasn't really the wine you wanted you know in most cases it's the feet and we have to challenge ourselves what feeling is it that we really want we, we become accustomed to the taste that's all it is and it's it's what we think it gives us. And yes, yes, there's a buzz. There's a buzz initially. You know, I've got a little course called Get the Buzz Without the Booze because I recognise there is a little buzz. Mm. But interestingly enough, we get that buzz just by the association. I think studies show that about 20 seconds before the alcohol even hits your lips, you get the dopamine hit, which is really fascinating. Oh, wow. It's all about the associations. And what about, um, Kelly, have you found, I... I 
definitely find as I've got older that I'm not as good at processing alcohol. So that yeah, I, 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 yeah, that's that's one of the reasons I'm not I'm not drinking as much as well at the moment. I'm not really well, most nights. I'm not really drinking anything because it's I just don't. It doesn't. Um, I, like you said, sometimes with the taste, I think red wine's the one you can't substitute. Like a gin and tonic, you said, with all the botanicals mm. and all that kind of thing. Beer, easy, they're quite easy to substitute. But then sometimes it is just that that taste thing. But yeah, it's a, it's a glass or two because any more, and it, it affects me so much more than it used to when I was younger. And it's not just in terms of, you know, getting more pissed more quickly <laughs> which which is not all not a great thing. <laughs> but it's, it's more but no but which is always not very dignified um but also it's it's about the fact that um it it just it makes it makes me feel terrible so I just don't I don't like that feeling so I kind of like you were talking about the off switch I have the off switch where I just think I'm not going to feel great if I have and that skip. and that Jane, so why would I bother? how much yeah. have you looked into that Janie in terms of the midlife and women in particular mm. as well and how our bodies change mm. um because it does seem to be more I hear more women at this age stopping drinking and making Definitely, that conscious decision yeah, yeah. I mean uh, I you know that's always music to my ears when I hear people say that because it's so many women go through um have t- awful symptoms around perimenopause and menopause and often they'll rock up to the GP and they'll talk about, you know, the mood swings and the anxiety and the irritability. And then they'll be given either antidepressants or HRT or both. But they're never asked about their drinking. Mm. I mean, it's shocking, actually. I, I hope things are changing. And in my book, I've got a couple of doctors who've given some, you know, given some contributions, which is amazing. Um, but there's absolutely no doubt whatsoever that alcohol and anxiety is so intrinsically linked. It, it's It's criminal that it's not looked at more because it's it, there's such an intrinsic link there and of course I'm not saying that if you stop drinking all of your anxiety and depression will go away I, of course I'm not saying that but it definitely exacerbates it most mm. definitely and similarly with menopausal symptoms I've had loads of people in the sober club that I run who found they no longer need their HRT or found that their symptoms are so much better with, with the booze makes it worse I mean it inflames everything it makes you hotter that's mm. the funny thing I used to be terrified of hot sweat because I was such a hot person anyway. But actually, if you stop drinking, it changes the whole picture. Does your husband still drink, Janie? Well, that, that's an interesting one too because he was never as big a drinker as me. He he always had an off switch. So he was always fully able to have one and then not even think about it really for weeks necessarily. Um, so he could never understand me and he would always be saying to me, you know, just have one, which used to mm. drive me insane, of mm. course. <laughs> that's not the way to try and encourage anyone to stop drinking. <laughs> just have one, yeah. But so what was interesting was he carried on when I when I stopped. But then over time, if we didn't have any beer in the house and we only had the botanical spirits, he started that. drinking those. And and then he got to the point after I think I'd been sober about nine months, and he said, "Do you know what? I'm not going to bother to drink anymore. Why would I? What's the point? If there's all this great alcohol, did it stuff? change your social life though? Did you find there were certain people who couldn't handle non-drinking? Generally? Well, this is always the thing that people are scared of. Actually, people are, are, are often really fearful about this sort of fear, this FOMO, you know, this fear of missing out, and will I become a social outcast? And and there's this ridiculous anagram: sober equals bores. Right? Actually, the opposite is true because you know you you you're actually boring when you're drunk. Really, most people say the same thing. Um, but in terms of your own social circle. It, it does depend. And I always advise people that in the early weeks, it's just a great idea to give people a heads up. So if you're going out to meet some friends, get, do your prep, give them a heads up. You can fib if you want and tell them you're driving home or you're on medication, or you can tell them the truth and say, do you know what? I feel better without it. And if they're your real friends, they will support you. But the other really important bit of prep is to prep ahead what you're going to drink. So wherever you're going, if you're able to go out to pub or club or whatever, or even if it's someone else's house, prep ahead exactly what you're going to drink. I've got a friend who doesn't drink and he always sends ginger beer over before he arrives. He sends a box of ginger beer to the house. Exactly, exactly. Or just if you go into someone's house, always turn up with your stash Mm. of alcohol-free drinks. Have plenty because they'll want yours. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And if you're going to a venue, when we can do that again, um, ring ring ahead and say, um, you know, just like we do with dietary requirements. Now you would would be absolutely shocked if a restaurant couldn't provide you with a vegetarian or a vegan option, right? So now we need to say, I want a proper grown-up 
grown-up alcohol-free drink. That doesn't mean a Coke or an orange juice. <laughs> I'm not 12, right? <laughs> Serve me a proper alcohol-free drink. And if you don't have any, here's a selection that you can choose from, or I'll bring my own and you can charge me corkage for a soft drink. Janie, it's so great to get practical takeaway advice for people. I always love that from our experts. And um, I did have a look um, online last night. I was reading snippets of the book and ended up ordering it because uh, there's some fantastic, practical, really good advice in there. If anybody well, there's wants like quite to- a few experts in there. It's not just me yeah so that's exactly what's good. So it's, there's, it's, there's, there's some great stuff around nutrition creativity i mean really it's it's not just about how to ditch the booze it's it's every it's how to get healthy really yeah and if, and once you've had your glass of non-alcoholic wine how to clean your sink with a lemon that's just a free tip from absolutely. me absolutely uh, janie wonderful to see you <laughs> and speak to you happy healthy you. sober is the book thank you so much for joining us today thank you So we know that uh, on that date that Kelly's going to go on, uh, there may well be uh, a non-alcoholic beer. Actually, that might be the key to these early dates, keeping them keeping them yeah. sober. Yeah. Because uh, <laughs> keeping them alcohol free. <laughs> See what they're like after one. See what they're like after the first drink. I'll go alcohol free for the first one. And then if it's terrible, I'll come home and sink wine. <laughs> I, I think it's quite exciting, though, to be at your age, you know, and having that kind of adventure to come. Um, you know, it's like it's yeah. like a kind of you've got a great career, you've got two beautiful daughters, you know. So, so mm. actually, you can afford to. Yeah, but there's a, but there's a, there is a part of me that sort of like I don't um, I don't have a picture in my head of why a middle aged, slightly overweight mother of two could possibly be attractive to somebody. I can't kind of do you know what I mean? I can't I can't get my head around that. That's not it's not a, and it's not. But you're a, doing um, yourself a massive. I mean, you are. A very attractive woman with a, no, with but a, it's not that it's it's not that it's not a, it's not that I'm putting myself down. It's not a lack of confidence or a lack of um, or a low self esteem is what I'm trying to say. It's not low self esteem. It's it's um, I just I don't know what that would look like. You look around though. There's lots of examples, aren't there, of, of people who've are there? <laughs> yeah, there are. <laughs> are there? Because. Because we... we, Look at J-Lo. J-Lo's older than us and she manages to find boyfriends. Yeah, but literally look at (laughs) J-Lo. I was being a little bit facetious. (laughs) Exactly. But that's my point. That is exactly my point. Let's not say that we all have to compete with J-Lo, by the way. This is is definitely the wrong message to send out on this. I've become a bit fixated with her lately, a bit fascinated by her. I found her social media recently and I'm just... I can't work out how much of it is... Like just natural. Or I, how much I, she's... I like that she's yeah, no, but I like where, where you natural is the key word because I like the fact she's like I've just never had anything done. <laughs> how really? No, it's just this serum. It's just this serum. That's yeah. all it is. Yeah. <laughs> I know she's she's ridiculously um, unlined and smooth and beautiful, isn't yes. she? Um, and and good more. But she's party. always been beautiful. She has, and yeah. yeah, she does look amazing. Well, do, but do, it's do, the um, it's that sort of. It's that sense of um, people will believe me if I say this. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, the rest of the world's going, I don't think but so. But do, do you care about, um, like, in terms of plastic surgery and uh, tweakments, whatever, and, you know, we talked about grooming and stuff. But I feel like, I don't know about you, I don't really care if people, if people want to do it, do it. If you don't want to do it, don't. I kind of, I just... I don't have strong opinions. And equally, yeah, I don't... want to talk about it, talk about it. Um, Jimmy Carr was on this podcast just completely honest about everything he has done and, he, <laughs> yeah. and actually made the good point that he was saying look it's not to change my face he goes this is the my, it's it's just because I just want to feel the best version of me I do I do um yeah but the where I I talk like I said I did have that Botox there and then because I don't get a full thing of it then sometimes you go oh we'll put it in we'll, we'll put it there around your eyes and I hated that look hated it on me because it didn't look it didn't look like my face mm. anymore for me it's not it's not something that I want I to completely do a personal, lot of that you just I think want... yeah and it's it doesn't it doesn't I don't like looking in the mirror and seeing that I like to see my own face otherwise I find it slightly <laughs> startling I don't really well, I suppose that's the look isn't it yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh. <laughs> I suppose it's when my it's when the kids say to me well not so much now because they're older when they were little and they'd say oh you look really angry mummy and I'm not I'm yeah. not angry oh god it's just my forehead it's literally collapsing yeah. <laughs> overall though I I feel like I find you very um grounded I mean you're always chilled you're always a chilled person but you do seem very relaxed with the aging process yeah I I kind of yeah mostly mostly I am I'm not you know 
I'm, you know, it's not that I'm like that 100% all the time. It's not like things don't cross my mind or I don't worry about stuff, as we talked about, the kind of general anxiety over the last year. But I do, I do try and kind of, try and kind of be relaxed about things and not be too stressed about them, I think, because it doesn't, it doesn't suit me as a person. I'm not one of these people that has to, you know, like I said, with planning and with sorting my life out and having things in, in my diary and that kind of thing, it doesn't suit me to be like that. I can't wake up in the morning and think, this is a brand new day and I've got a list and I'm going to tick everything off it. I just kind of, I like to get up and have a vague idea of what I'm going to do and sort of potter through that. That's my, that's my day and that's my life really. And has life panned out the way you thought it would from that 23-year-old who walked to Sky or 22, whatever no, you were? I'm not really sure. <laughs> not really sure. And actually it's not far off probably working on the, working on the, the Premier League football and you know, with the girls and that kind of... Yeah, it's not not far off, actually, if I'd thought about it. Not far off where I thought it would be. Well, it's wonderful to see you and chat to you and you. Uh, and share a little bit of your midlife insight. Um, thank you so much for your time and keep being brilliant at what you do. Um, you probably do another kind of epiphany, another kind of uh, relaunch, aren't you, Sue, where people are kind of, <laughs> Kelly Kate, she's, <laughs> she's you're, alive. You're... <laughs> thank you so much, Kelly. Thanks, that was Kelly, lovely, thank really you. lovely chat. I thank really you very much. That. It's so oh, nice good. to talk to people. Yeah, it's, it's the only reason I'm doing it. They don't go out. I don't actually broadcast them. I just, I just ring up people and go, hi. I really love Kelly's honesty about anxiousness, about dating, her lockdown comfort eating. I think her authenticity combined with that incisive mathematical brain of hers why she is such a revered and trusted broadcaster and I hope she is on our screens for decades to come if she wants to. Thank you to Janie Lee Grace. I didn't have a drink for a whole week after our chat but I did have a lovely glass of wine last night. Moderation, hey? Uh, Who knows, it might be abstinence in the future. Her book is great though with really brilliant tips in it and experts as well. Uh, Thank you so much to Solgar for supporting the podcast. Now lately I have been taking a new product of theirs. It's very exciting and it's specifically aimed at women in midlife. It's called Meno Prime, and a single tablet of Meno Prime provides whole body, hormone free, plant based support for women over the age of 45. So have a look at that on the Solgar website. Thank you so much then to Kelly, to Janie Lee, and to you for listening. I'll see you next time. Take care. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.